stop for a few minutes. Um, it was funny because um, what I want to say to you tonight, a lot of it, um, I will probably pretty much just read, uh, which I have to say I'm not very comfortable with that. I don't, I'd much rather start on a journey talking and just, um, but um, our purpose is probably better served tonight just by, um, by reading some of the things that, that I think need to be said. What was, what was funny was also with that, to, to help what I need to say, I did some PowerPoint slides, you may say. Um, so I came in and, uh, you know, gave the memory stick to, to uh, Robert and his first thing was, oh, it's like Bob then. I hadn't, hadn't told him what I said about reading stuff, so I thought, well, there you go. Um, so well, Bob Nichols likes to read his messages. I don't know how he does it. I've asked him. It's like I find it difficult to get comfortable doing that. But tonight, I probably need to discipline myself to that. I want, I want to talk to you tonight about being freed from the stone. About... The need for all of us, there's something that is there that is, is God-breathed actually finding its way out into the whole expression of all that our life is. And so I want to talk to you um, in the context of this about, um, about a little bit about Michelangelo and um, his life story is very interesting if you take time to read it, very troubled man, very um, very angry, uh, difficult person to get on with, but I've said to you many times in here that until you are prepared to familiarize yourself with the person's story, do not presume yourself qualified to judge their actions. And uh, Michelangelo's mother died when he was very young, when he was six years of age, and um, all kinds of traumas and difficulties uh, in his life. And then his own artistic tendencies were not uh, endorsed by his father, who rather wanted um, Michael to take up training so that he could make money to keep the family... um, They were a semi-noble family to kind of keep them there, so... Uh, was rejected by his father, all, all kinds of difficulties, and, and by all accounts, he was a really difficult, angry person. Like Some of us are a bit like that, aren't we? Um, then when you know some people's story, you see why. Uh, I have grown very distasteful of um, judgments in any field, um, not just in the church, but particularly in the church, because that, that's been my life, that do not take into account what delivered a person to the day that they are now living in. And um, the tremendous lack of compassion that can exist because we do not take the time to embrace the difficulty of a person's story. Now, now of course, some people don't want to share their stories. Some people are embarrassed by their story. Some people just don't like who they are, and that might be some of you. Um, but the best way to deal with this stuff, get the story out, because um, if, if, we can, if we can track the story up to now, we might be able to write a different ending. Okay. 
But for some of you who like to hide your story, the problem is nothing else can be written to change it because you've decided that's my story. You know, really, the wonderful thing is about this thing called the gospel is it's, it's, about, it's about God entering our story and making the ending very different. It, it's, it's, the Bible uses it calls it redemption. Redemption's a word we don't know very much, but um, it was a familiar word back then because if you were a slave, uh, your life could be bought back into freedom. That was called redemption, redeeming a slave. A price was set, and if the price was paid, you were given your freedom back. And therefore, you went from being someone in slavery to your past and your condition to someone who is now a free man or a free woman to create their own future. That's really the Christian gospel, that in Jesus, God put a value on your life. And in putting that value on your life, he was saying, those of you and those of us who have become captive to our story can be redeemed from that story because of the price that was set and that was paid in Christ on the cross. That was the whole Jesus thing. So that actually our stories become defined in a very different way and and rewritten. And, And for those of you who might be wary of that, that was never about buying you into religion. It was about buying you out of the things that we were in slavery to, much of which are are the things that that shaped our lives. So so I, I find it amazing that this very disturbed person, Michelangelo, was capable of such genius in terms of his artistic endeavors. Of course, he was responsible for the uh, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome where, where the, uh, the popes are selected and chosen. Um, it's a great work of art, but if you really look at it, it tells you as much about Michelangelo as it does about the Bible. So on the, on the end wall of the Sistine Chapel is this painting of, of, of hell and the judgment, and it's, it's horrible. Um, you know, it, you've got to be pretty troubled to have painted that. And it really expresses, I don't think so much God's heart, but it expressed the struggles that were going on in Michelangelo as you look at it. One thing that a lot of people miss, which I, I found hilarious, because I have an eye for things like this. It's my engineering background. I used to be a building structures engineer, and uh, my job was to to find faults in, in industrial buildings. That was my job. So your eye becomes attuned to pick stuff up, little details. And uh, and the Sistine Chapel, if you ever go round about, round about a third from one end, two thirds from the judgment picture, on the top, if you look, there's a guy mooning. Do you know what mooning is? It's And uh, of course, I spotted that. My eyes just caught that. Like I thought, that's hilarious. There's the judgment going on and there's angels and everything. And then it's almost like, um, almost like Michelangelo um, you know, giving the bird or whatever the statement would be to, to what was going on before, which was the establishment. Very, very interesting. Uh, the quirks of our lives. The good news is that within all of us, there is something that needs to be freed. And that the whole of the Christian gospel is about freeing that. Um, it's not about God being so narcissistic that he has to have the world worship him. 
You understand, if that's God's objective, he's the biggest narcissist of history. I mean, like, you'll worship me because you just should, and you either can do it by choice or I'll make you, but you're all going to worship. That's narcissism. That was never the point of God. God's point was never about what we could give to him or do for him. It was only ever about what he could give to us and do for us. And And so the whole issue of the The Christian gospel is not about bringing us into bondage to some system and some structure, but it's about actually freeing us to really know what it is to live in the love of the Father, the Creator, um, at one with us and us at one with Him and expressing Himself in our hearts. So, so I'm going to read you some little bits and make some comments as we go. In 1501, that's how long ago this is, Michelangelo began his masterpiece, The Sculpture of David. In four years, he turned a piece of marble into one of the most dynamic, captivating, and memorable sculptures ever created, and probably the most viewed one in the world, which I actually have a picture of when it comes up there. I'll let you have a snicker and a titter before we carry on. It's not my fault. That's how the thing is, all right? I'm not, I haven't photoshopped it. If it upsets you, I apologize, but that's the statue of David, okay? So have we snickered enough? Is that okay? Have we? Okay. But here's the thing about this amazing statue, which is, which is a three times dimension, okay? It's three times the size of, of normal. Absolutely incredible. I mean, the muscle structure and everything in, in, that, in that sculpture is, is phenomenal. I mean, it is phenomenal observation. It's phenomenal expression. Um, what you may not know is that the marble that, that he used for this statue was pre-used, it was actually flawed. It had faults in it. It was imperfect. In fact, it had been abandoned and discarded after two previous attempts to make something out of it. Sound a bit like your life, my life? Pre-used, flawed, imperfect, abandoned, discarded. At least two attempts made to make something out of it. See, that, that's, why, that's why what you see there is more important when you understand the story of what you see there. But see, Michelangelo, and, and I think again this was due to his own background and his own wounds and his own life, he acquired this piece of marble that had been pre-used, flawed, imperfect, abandoned and discarded. He acquired it and promised to carve a statue from the block. He promised Now, if you really research the story, you will find that he took some ridicule for that promise because the nature of this marble was such that to make a promise that you would carve a statue from it seemed like the height of foolishness because the reason it had been discarded was that the conclusion of other sculptors was that once you set to work chipping away at that marble, the flaws would become greater than the intent and ultimately, of course, bits would drop off, it would, it would fail, and never become anything. But Michelangelo acquired it and promised. Do you know, the amazing thing again about the Christian gospel is that, that God made a promise to humanity. That in his acquisition of your life and my life, he has promised to carve a statue from the block. 
He has promised that what others have discarded, what others have said will never work out. It can never happen. Look at the pain. Look at the difficulty. Look what's happened. He has promised to carve a statue from the block which is your life. Now his subject matter was the significant Bible character David. Okay? David and Goliath, okay, all that story. David, the writer of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But his subject matter as well was, was interesting, as interesting as the fact that he took this flawed and rejected marble and promised to make something of it. Because his subject matter, David, this represents David. I don't know how he got the picture of David, but there you go. Um, internet, I don't know. Googled it. See, David, who he made out of this stone, was probably an illegitimate son. I actually personally believe David was an illegitimate son. There are reasons for that biblically. And also in Jewish tradition that he was an illegitimate son. Uh, He had an affair at a very significant point of his life. Uh, He got the woman pregnant who he had the affair with. He was hoping it would just be a one-night stand, but the one-night stand left the woman pregnant, and that left him with a problem. How many times have we made choices and decisions and, and done something momentarily that the consequences of that have actually seeped into our lives way beyond the moment's choice of doing it? Well, this was David got the woman pregnant. To make it worse, he had her husband murdered. Okay, this is this guy. And then he watched the child die. Now, this David also had terrible problems with his own sons. And he knew what it meant to be betrayed, to live rejected, and be a fugitive. So this this is the subject matter of Michelangelo, the damaged person using the flawed marble that had been discarded because having made two attempts, nobody could do anything with it. This, this is the background. A flawed person with flawed marble creating a flawed statue from a flawed human being. Now what was interesting, just as we're covering Michelangelo, is that this David who made all those matraics and betrayal and, and and lived through all those things, towards the end of his life, he, he, he wrote something which I have always thought was a, a wonderful statement. In, in, in the book of Psalms, which were songs, because David was a musician, he was a, he was a songwriter. Um, had he been a songwriter today, he would be a multimillionaire, because, you know, just about all his songs were published in a book called the Psalms, but there was no copyright then, so... No agencies looking out, but he would have been downloaded. He would have had all the downloads and everything because every week without fail, somebody was singing the David song. But from all that background, he wrote towards the end of his life, and this was out of his experiences. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Now, if you're confused and think David was saying... Because I'm righteous, this happened. The whole story of his life is that he in himself was not righteous. So whatever it was he was singing about when he said, I've not seen the righteous forsaken, he wasn't talking about a righteousness earned. 
He was talking about the righteousness given. He was talking about that redemption. He was talking about me, David, the pre-used, flawed, imperfect person, abandoned and discarded, who there have been attempts that failed on me. Me, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. He, he saw himself as having come out of the stone that was flawed. So, the events then that formed this man's life, Michelangelo, were in many ways difficult and traumatic. And yet what I also find fascinating is that the following wisdom flowed out of that life story. Um, I, I grew up in an era that said, if, if someone failed, you remove them from what it is that they're doing. So for example... If I had, and the terms they would use is a moral failure, I should be removed from speaking to you. And yet if you think about it, I am probably better qualified and better equipped to speak to you after a failure and in a failure and through a failure than if I've never had what people see as a failure standing here and telling you how you ought to deal with that failure. We have sought to live this way and it has brought a lot of criticism and a lot of opposition. But I think it's the God way. I think it's the Jesus way. Because out of flawed people often comes the greatest of wisdom because they are there, something is being freed from the stone, the flawed stone, the broken stone, the rejected stone. Something of value is being freed. So, so listen to these words of wisdom from this, from this flawed man, Michelangelo, okay? The greatest danger for most of us It's not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it's too low and we reach it. Fabulous words of wisdom. See, something something was creating an experience in this man. I I think another favorite artist of mine is Anthony Gaudi, who, who was an architect who was the designer of the La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Similar experience, similar background. Here's another thing that he says. Excellence can be obtained if you care more for others than others think is wise. This is awesome. If I was writing the Bible, I'd put this in the Bible now. Excellence can be obtained if you care more than others think is wise if you risk more than others think is safe, if you dream more than others think is practical, if you expect more than others think is possible. So what I'm trying to get through to you is, is in the flawedness of the stone, when the angel is freed from the stone, something happens beyond our own strength, our own ability. A wisdom, a release, a healing. Here's another thing he said. I hope that I may always desire more than I can accomplish. That's awesome, isn't it? I hope that I may always desire more than I can accomplish. See, there's there's a, a rebirth of vision happening in this guy. And then finally, one more. I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. 
The figures that Michelangelo created are forceful and dynamic, every single one of them, if you take time to look at them. Each one of it, in its own space, seems apart from the outside world. And what I mean by that is, whatever his experiences were, wherever he was, something in what he created brought him apart from that and made an expression of something that I would call grace. The statue of David is a statue of grace. It's what can become when somebody promises to take the flawed and the damaged and make a statue from it. I propose to you that's the very heart of God. I propose to you that's the very heart of the Christian gospel. I propose to you that this is the core of the message and that it's true for you and me tonight. For Michelangelo, the job of a sculptor was to free the forms that were already inside the stone. He believed that every stone had a sculptor, a sculpture within it, and that the work of sculpting was simply a matter of chipping away all that was not part of the statue. The job of the sculptor was to free the forms that were already inside the stone, believing that every stone had a sculpture within it. You have a sculpture within you. The problem is it's masked by all that hardness and all that nonsense and, and the problems and, the, and life and the stuff that surround it. But, but the job of the sculptor is, is to see that within there and to free the form that's already inside the stone. See, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world but to seek and save that was lost. Let me put it in Michelangelo's words. I didn't come to condemn the flawed stone because I saw within the stone a form already there that if only someone would take the time to sculpt it and chip away all that's not part of the statue, the image from inside would appear. And that's what's happening in your life. That's what's happening in my life. That's what... God's intent is, that's what his work is towards you. That's what Jesus was all about. And so I want to just bring you to one verse of scripture. It's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. I want to read it from the New King James Version of the Bible and from the New International Version of the Bible. I said to those of you who were here some weeks ago, and I've been repeating it since, that I made a dreadful misquote on a Saturday night about four weeks ago. Here's what I said to you. That God was forming us into the image of Christ. That he was making us Christ-like. Do you know what's very fascinating? If you read the Bible, you cannot find that statement anywhere in the Bible. I had one guy determined that he could do it and he quoted 40 different verses and not one of them said that we were going to be made like Christ. They were all innuendos, but bad innuendos, because they were wrong. And this hit me between the eyes, and I thought, I told these people who I love, I told them wrong. Because the problem is, you see, when, when we think that we have to be like Christ, that's like, well, we have to be like God. And if we have to be like God, how the flip are we going to manage to be all of that? And therefore, every time we fail and see the flaw in the stone, and don't see the image coming out, we feel condemnation and guilt. 
And so God seems to be this person who's hovering over us, demanding that we be something that we could never be. So let me read you what the Bible does say. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I don't even want to go there with that because that's not important for, for tonight. For those of you who know what a Calvinist, I am so flipping not a Calvinist, it's unbelievable. In fact, I, 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 there was an interesting thing. I thought Calvinists are a particular belief system that believe that oh, certain people were chosen before the world began and that they call it election, that they were elected and they become the elect of God. Here was my thought. Okay, so if some people are elected to be part of this people of God, who got to vote in the election? Only God. Well, we have a word for that. It's called communism. And I find it fascinating. My friends in America, some of them will be watching me right now and listening. Love you all. But there's some massive nonsense goes on. I cannot believe that the people who so avidly commit as Christians to what they call a Republican point of view by which they demand free and fair elections in order to let something come to pass but then accept this system that says only God has a vote which is actually communism. That's totalitarianism. Only God gets a say. I don't believe that. I don't believe it works like that and I'm going to resist the temptation to talk more about that. If you want to talk to me about it We can converse, it's fine. But here's that verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, listen, to be conformed to something, okay? So out of the stone, Michelangelo is wanting this to conform to something. What's he wanting it to conform to? The image that he sees in his heart, which for him was the image of David, but the image of David really to him was a reflection of his own struggles and his own trials and his own failures, but a story of redemption. Listen to this. For who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? The image of his son. Now you say, well, isn't that to be Christ-like? No, because it would have said the image of Christ if it meant that. The important word there is son. God set out to conform us to understand our sonship. Because sonship holds a different position than just an imitator of what someone else is. Sonship makes you the very same as the person. Which means that the father of Jesus is the father of Joel and the father of Chloe and the father of James and the father of Anth. And in case you might misunderstand it, he goes on to say that he might be the firstborn among what? Many brethren. Okay, let me read it from the NIV. For this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the important word, sonship. Why is that important? Because God only ever wanted to be seen as one thing by all of humanity. And that thing is Father. I've preached long and hard about the fact God never wanted to be God. God's actually not interested in being God. From the very beginning of time, all God ever wanted to be was a Father, which meant that the image that's inside the stone that needs to be freed is the image of a Son, right? It's the image of a 
son. Because what is a son? A son is absolutely connected to the father. The actual Greek word is an inheriting son. It's a son who is mature to inherit everything that the father has. That's what he's trying to bring out from you. Because the thing is, that's already inside of you. Just like Michelangelo said, that there is an angel in the stone. And my job is to chip away the bits until that is revealed. What God is wanting to make in you is that expression of sonship. He is your father and you are his son. The likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we get elevated to brother status with Jesus. Which means we have equal status before the Father. Which means we have equal pull on the Father's heart. Which means we have equal attention from the Father. Which means we have equal inheritance. From the Father, which means that whatever the Father thought and did for Jesus, he thinks and does for me, and that the same extent to which his heart was towards Jesus, his firstborn son, his heart is towards me, and his heart is towards you. And the image that's in the marble that is your life is the image of a son of God. Just like Michelangelo looked at that marble and all people could see was flaws. All they could see was a discarded piece of stuff that was not fit to be used. It was imperfect, abandoned. What Michelangelo saw in there was something that you could not see unless you could see with something more than the natural eye. You see, I don't care what you see in the people around you or even what you see in yourself. God looks into the stone that is your life that's become hardened and flawed and he sees his son in there. And not only that, but he sees you as a son. And so his whole purpose is to release sonship from you. So let me say a few things to close this. That to me was a big shock. That the objective is not Christ-likeness, but son-likeness. Even more precise, God's son-likeness. See, one is something that you're always striving to be, Christ-like. The other is something you accept that you are, son-like. And that's the criteria tonight. One is something you're always striving to be Christ-like. The other is something you accept that you are son-like. It's interesting that the trigger point for the Christian gospel is not activity but acceptance. The trigger point for religion is activity, not acceptance. The The trigger point for the Christian gospel is acceptance, not activity. And all that you are called to do tonight is accept. To accept what? That something that you are, son, and it's in there. It's coming out. See, one is fraught with condemnation under the pressure to become. That's to be Christ-like. The other simply embraces the truth of its being. I'm a son of God. He loves me. I'm his. And if I'll just stop flipping fighting, all that doesn't look like that's going to get chipped away. One brings you to and keeps you subject to a God. 
The need to be Christ-like will bring you to and keep you subject to a God. And I don't think being subject to a God, any God, is healthy. Because our understanding of God has not actually come specifically from the Bible. It's come from the historic viewpoints of God's basic premise this. The gods are angry, the gods must be appeased. That's at the root core of pretty much every religion, including, including most people's view of Christianity. That if you do good, you will be rewarded, but if you do bad, you will be punished. Okay? What, what's most of the gospel that we've heard? That it's all by forgiveness, but if you do good, you'll be rewarded. If you do bad, you'll be punished. That's what gods, any god, that's what gods do. Fathers don't do that. So this idea of being Christ-like is fraught with condemnation under the pressure to become. But the other simply embraces the truth of being. One brings you to and keeps you subject to a God. The other embraces you in its arms and draws you into the Father. That sonship conformed to the likeness of his son. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Joel reconciling the world of Joel to himself. God was in James reconciling the world of James to himself. God was in Davis reconciling the world of Davis to himself. Because that's the image in the stone. Sun-like. The Father's desire is to free the form that's already inside the stone, which is your life. The question is, will you let the divine sculptor keep chipping away all that is not part of the famous statue called Alice? All that's not part of the famous statue called Stuart? All that's not part of the famous statue called Eunice? All that's not part of the famous statue called Christoph. All that's not part of the famous statue called Anth. See, there is a fame, but it's not a fame for the world to bow down and say, how amazing you are. It's the fame that's the same fame that was in Jesus because he was the representative of the Father's heart who changed the world and he changes our world as we embrace the sonship that he has given. So will you let the divine sculptor keep chipping away all that's not part of the famous statue called you. Bow your heads for one moment. Remember what I said that the, the core of the Christian gospel is, is acceptance. It's not achievement, it's acceptance. And um, it may be in, in, in your own life tonight that you've, you've never been at a point where you would engage your own heart and consciousness to say, do you know what, I, I accept this amazing, if this, is, if this is true, I, I accept this amazing truth of, of, the, 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 of the statue, the, the image that God graciously wants to release from me because of what's called redemption. He bought the stone which is me and promised to make a statue. It, the acceptance of that and the willingness to let the chipping begin to take place is, 
is the whole essence of the transformation that changes us from that flawed stone with no hope and no purpose to actually becoming the subject of a dream, the subject of a vision, the subject of something new, something fresh, something wonderful. Do you understand now why one of the guys wrote in the Bible that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He's, he's describing this, this very process. So simply said that because if you've never in any way accepted this grace on your life, why not do it now? Why not, why not just tell the Father, I accept the grace that you've put on my life and I thank you that in this flawed, discarded damaged parts of my life that you see something I haven't seen but you've come to free that and release it and that something is the image of your son so you can be my father and I can live as your son and purpose. If you've never done that just just do that now. Just You've never talked to the father just say I accept that grace. And For those of you maybe who tonight have just related to some of the things we've said because you see yourself as that flawed stone. Maybe you see yourself as very little work that's been done. Maybe, maybe some of you kind of half-finished work. But you've sort of given up hope because you've thought, you know, one more blow of the hammer and chisel and I think I'm going to come apart. Well, truth is you won't. Because the Father's a more expert sculptor with human lives than Michelangelo ever was with marble. And he's pretty good at what he does. And and for some of you, you just need to make the decision right now, Father, half finished as I feel that I am and worried about what's going to come out to realize that he bought the stone and he's promised to create the whole statue. You have a promise over your life from God that he will never walk away from And I want you to receive that promise tonight. Father, thank you for all that you are and all that you've become and all that you are causing us to become. And my prayer tonight is just that we will be conformed to the image of your son. That sonship is the objective. Sonship is something that is given and accepted. Not something that is sought after and achieved. I receive it tonight. I pray that in this house every heart will be encouraged, every heart will be lifted. And for those of us who feel the blows of the hammer and the chisel to realize that actually it's because there's an angel in there. Actually because there's a sun in there. And you're just working to bring the sun out of us so that there might be a reconciliation in our world and a redemption of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, there you go. We bless you, we love you, we appreciate you. Please pray for Chris and I. We, we've been having some health struggles of late that we're trying to battle off, but um, uh, I know I've talked about prayer, but I do believe in the power of prayer. I just like that prayer, really. When, whatever it says about God needs to be saying God is good and God is here and God is with us and we're sons and he's the father. So I know Chris and I would appreciate um, your prayers just to, to break. I can't believe I'm 60 next year. That's hilarious, eh? Hey? 
feel it at the moment, but <laughs> not hilarious, eh? But the best is yet to come, isn't it? The best is yet to come. So be blessed and uh, have a chat with somebody tonight. And then, uh, like I say, if you can be here Wednesday, I'd really, 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 really love you to be here on Wednesday because I think you're going to leave a mark in some people's lives that they'll never forget. All right, so bless you. Thanks a lot. We love you.